0: Alright, well, we were in Matthew chapter 8, and if you remember last week, we talked about the Lord's power over the physical and the b- ability to heal mentally, spiritually, and most importantly, physically, and this week, we're going to be talking about a different type of power, His power over creation, His power over the spiritual and the demonic, but while we're doing that, we're going to be focusing on discipleship and what it is to be His disciple, what that cost of discipleship is. And what that means to follow with him. So let's begin with the word of prayer. And then we're going to start in verses 18 through 22 in Matthew chapter 8. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in advance for the work that you'll be doing in us this morning. That you would guide and direct us. That we would learn through the reading and teaching of your word. That you would apply it to our lives. And as we go out into the world, Lord, you would change us for the better. And use us for your will in Jesus' name. So let's read together verses 18 through 22. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, first we have to define what this means to be a disciple. Number one, you don't have to be a believer. Excuse me. You don't have to be a disciple to be a believer. I had that backwards. You can be saved and you can have a saving faith in Christ and you can follow him without being a disciple. A disciple is a disciplined one. So let's look at the context here. The multitudes are following him. So the multitudes is everybody. That's the curious. That's the spiritual seekers. That's those that just want to be healed. But it doesn't mean they're all for him because we know that people are there to challenge him, to test him, to come against him. All of that is included in the multitudes, those that are gathering around him. Then you have this next level, and that's the followers and the believers. You can have a saving faith in Christ and not be a disciple. But when he's speaking about discipleship, that disciplined one, that learner, that follower, that means that not only are you a believer and are you curious and are you seeking him, you're obeying him, you're being used by him, and he is teaching you. That is somebody that wants to deny themselves and follow after him because that is the cost. Now, it is difficult right off the bat to define this because many people feel a calling or they want to follow after the Lord. They feel like they want to be a disciple. And these are two guys here. But let's look at the context here. It says that they are already a disciple. Did it not? Did it not say that his disciple, another disciple, answered him? So the question from this disciple was, I need to go take care of my family first and I'll follow you. But Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their dead. He said, no, you, you come now. You follow now. The scribe previously asks him, hey, I'm ready to follow you wherever. But Jesus reminds him, if you follow me, you're getting nothing. You don't have a place to live. You're not going to have a habitation. You're not going to get put up in a fancy hotel. So we're already seeing the cost up front. But I want to say something that is more difficult for disciples to hear or for those that feel called because the scripture says that many are called, but few are chosen. Because this is the opposite of what the church teaches. He said, the church teaches we are going to use all of you. We need volunteers everywhere. And we're going to put you to work, and we're going to use your gifts, and you're going to be used by him. And we need you. We need you bad. That's just not scriptural. The Lord needs nobody. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your talents. He doesn't need your intelligence. And many people feel this calling to follow after him or be used by him because they want to be lifted up or they want to be exalted, whether they know it or not, seen well, have a good reputation. And the Lord says, many are called, but few are chosen. We're going to talk about why that is as we continue. And then we're going to also talk about enduring the cost. Many people count the cost. Many Christians come to church, you're in your Bible, you're reading the word, you know the verses. It's one thing to count the cost. It's another thing to actually endure the cost. Jesus tells us clearly to to be at that level, that growth, where you're calling him Lord, where you're obeying him, where you are a disciple. In Luke 9, he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily, and follow me. The emphasis is on the denying yourself. You see, what happens is, most people that come to me, and they feel a desire to be in ministry. They have a desire to follow after the Lord. They want to be used by him. They tell me the calling he has on their life. They tell me how God is bringing them and wants to use them to do whatever it is. We need to realize that you don't matter if you're calling yourself a disciple. If he's calling you, that means to deny yourself, not to be exalted. Your reputation not going to matter. The way people think about you are going to matter. The job he gets you or he leads you into is not going to matter. It costs to seek after the Lord. And it is difficult It says to take up your cross and follow after him. We know that the cross is an implement of death. It was the most torturous death sentence the Roman government would give. It was to make a point. And we are to pick up that cross and follow after him. And so, no, your family doesn't come first. No, your personal uh, material gain, your health your well-being, your reputation, your life, it doesn't come first. And we find in our mind that the Lord has a plan for discipleship that I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like. But it doesn't matter because he is the Lord. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and he is in absolute control, he leads. Now, don't get me wrong, he has no conscripts. He only takes volunteers. See, he gives them the option, doesn't he, here? When they ask those questions, he doesn't say, this is the way it's going to be. No, he tells them, you want to follow me? This is the cost. Or or you want to take a break? You don't, oh, then you're not called. You don't follow me. Now, when it comes to our family, he tells us that if you want to be a disciple, he has to come first over them. It's kind of mean. But if you think that's mean, look at the way it's translated in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I want to focus on two things. Is he telling us to hate our family? No, of course not. We know it in its context. He's saying that our love for him and our passion for him, our desire to seek him, is going to make us do difficult things that we normally wouldn't do. But what we skip over in this verse is the second part, and his own life also. Your your own self is to be so far down the list that it doesn't matter. The problem is, we always put ourselves first. When we do something well, we want everyone to acknowledge it. If we do something at a certain level, we expect to go to the next level. And here, the Lord is teaching us that none of that matters if you follow after him. You guys know me. I'm a simple guy. I start to have to have an analogy to history or to warfare or to something. Every single person there in D-Day thought that they were going to win the Medal of Honor that they were going to make it and be victorious and conquer, you know, a hundred Germans on their own. But when that ramp fell, the men started falling right with them. And counting the cost of discipleship is the same way. You, you're not promised a promotion or a position. You're not promised a responsibility. You're not promised a ministry. You're not promised anything except to deny yourself to be used by him. Well, this doesn't sound like a good gig. I don't want to do this. I don't want to hate my family. I don't want to have everything be last in life except for him. That just sounds selfish and ignorant and mean. What a mean master. And I don't want to stay there. Because we are called to love deeper, to love more intimately, to pour ourselves out. And if you're called to discipleship, then I have some questions for you. Are you willing to hurt so that others can live? Are you able to allow your reputation to be sacrificed for the benefit of others? Will you bear the emotional scars of being betrayed and then allow it to happen over and over again so that you can teach and bless other people? Are you willing to seek God over your personal comfort? Will you turn the other cheek if you are physically attacked in his name? And then are you willing to be judged, ridiculed, mocked, slandered, criticized, questioned, rebuked at every turn? Now, who, who am I talking about? No servant is greater than his master. I'm speaking about Jesus. That was his life. And if you're a follower and a disciple of him, that's how you live. Remember, you can be a great believer and not be a disciple this is a special calling and many people feel that call upon their life and he still isn't going to choose you for that that's his will that shall be done not our own because we deny ourselves and we follow after him but he led the way he showed us and i don't want to stop there because you may think that it just means that to be a disciple is to have a torturous, painful, terrible life because that nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the mark of a disciple isn't pain and suffering. We think it is. No, Jesus said the mark of a disciple, this is by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. A disciple is able to love at a level that other people are not because it's not self-centered it's others centered you know personally as a disciple of the lord jesus i have suffered a lot but i live a fuller and deeper self-sacrificing life now i am a sinful person i do terrible things i am a liar and a manipulator i'm selfish so stop nodding your heads guys i mean come on But in spite of that, it is a deeper, stronger life that in the midst of great trial, you can have great blessing and great comfort and a sense of understanding and, and a sense of living life because you don't take it for granted. You know it could be gone at any moment. Realizing that you're owed nothing, nothing in life is owed to you, and you can just enjoy it. And then you can bless and serve others because you're not so self-centered on yourself, even though you will try. Let me show you what I mean by this, because the Lord now has an instance that he's going to teach us from in verses 23 through 27. It says, now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So the disciples are on that boat, and they get out there, and this great storm comes. Jesus is asleep and they think they're going to die now i want to focus on the discipleship portion of this story and then we're going to focus more on the point of why this message is shared in the scripture when people come to me and they say they have a calling on their life and they want to be a disciple they want to be used by the lord this is what they really want they want a plan They want to be told that if they go to a four-year seminary, then spend six months in youth group and two years in adult ministry, and they get appointed to an assistant pastor position, then they'll get to the right level where they can plant a church or get a position as a senior pastor. They want the plan. They want to know the ladder. They want to know when and how and why, and they want to check every box and attain that level and to get that respect and to be used by the Lord. That's what they want. And that used to be me too, so I'm not pointing my finger at anyone issue is that this is never how the lord disciples anyone in the scripture in fact when we look at the apostles what do we see every time they're recorded or almost every time they are confused they are lost they don't know where they're going they don't know why jesus is doing anything they don't even understand what he is telling them when he's telling them that and then what else do we see they're arguing over their position and things they can't control who's the greatest And nothing has changed. When they go into that boat, they don't know a storm is coming. They don't know what the plan is. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what training schedule the Lord has them on. In fact, when they go into this storm, they're fearing for their lives, and Jesus is asleep. And here we are with our plans, trying to teach the Lord how we think he should do it, And I told you, I don't like the way that he disciples because I am like you. I want the plan. I want to know. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because he wants us right there with him. He knows that if he gave us some kind of schedule, we'd be off. Lord, watch me do this. let Let me impress you. But we have no power over anything. Apart from him, we can't do anything. I want us to know that if you're a a disciple or a believer, the storms of life, they come on all of us, on your neighbor and on yourself. Everyone goes through life the same way. In fact, Jesus told us that back in Matthew chapter 5. He said that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We all go through the storms of life. The difference is some people have the Lord with them and some people don't. I always wish that I could be the kind of disciple that no matter what storm or what comes, I would just be asleep with him resting in the trials of life. But no, that's not me. I see the storm coming, and I'm grabbing ropes, and I'm getting an oar, and I'm like, let the Lord sleep. We got this. Let's go, guys. We'll handle this storm on our own. Let's show him what to do. It just does not how it works. In the real storms of life, I'm panicking just like everyone else. I just have a better poker face. And they, they wake up the Lord. You know, we're going to die. We're going to die. Wake us <laughs> up. And Matthew is the only gospel that records that he rebukes the disciples the apostles for their lack of faith and then he gets up he gets up he rebukes the storm and it is instantly calm you know how i am i I read a little bit between the lines that's not healthy and it's not good but i'm just i think of the lord just like what's your guys's problem then he goes back to sleep he's in absolute control of all things at all times if the lord has called you to change the toilet paper rolls out in the bathroom then praise God for it. If you feel like you're called to a greater ministry and he doesn't call and he doesn't call you and select you, okay. You may think that he's asleep on the job, but he's in control of all things. You could be resting with him and enjoying your relationship and living life fuller and loving life and instead you're freaking out about all the things you can't control. And secretly, you want to wake him up and say, Lord, let me share my plan with you. Instantaneously, the storm is silenced. We think we have so much to add to God's kingdom. We have nothing to add because we are nothing. We deserve nothing. And if you deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow after him, then he will use you however he sees fit whenever he pleases to do so. And that's when we learn what Paul was taught by the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 12:9, when the Lord replies to Paul and says, "My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Therefore most gladly I would rather I would rather boast in my infirmities. Here's the important part that the power of christ may rest upon me we've already talked about healing and the lord's power over life now we get to the point of this story the lord is showing that he has power over all creation do you i don't have the power to heal anybody i don't have the power over creation i don't have power at all the only power i have is to mess things up so my biggest prayer is, Lord, don't let me mess this up. Because let's be honest, our plan sucks, our schedule sucks, our abilities suck. You guys, you can't talk that way at church. I just did. What you going to do about it? <laughs> Everything that we think we can accomplish, we can't, apart from him. And instead, we could be sitting with the Lord, we could be resting with him through your greatest and hardest trials, and instead, you're trying to wake him up and tell him what to do. Be still and know that I am God, the scripture says. Now, you think his power and his authority over creation is impressive. To me, we learn even more in the next few verses. Let's read verses 28 through 29. It says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes. There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, Matthew records there's two The other gospels record there's one. Most likely there's always been two, but the other gospels are going to focus on the demoniac that has multiple demons inside of him. The emphasis is on him. But I want us to know something here. This is a test, a real test, because I want you to put yourself there and say, what are you going to do about this? You're on the road, you just got off the boat, you're going on your way and you are confronted with this problem, how are you going to fix it? You can't. And these are real people. And these things happen today. We know from Mark chapter 5 that these guys are being chained. They're trying to control them and limit them and stop them. In Mark 1 through 5 of chapter 5, it says, And they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I want to clarify a couple things, but I still want you to stand in front of this problem and stand in front of this person and tell me, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. And society has the same answer. Society wants to medicate them, to restrain them put them in chains or a straitjacket, to put them in a psychological war, to give them to a therapist, to talk about these things and to try and figure these things out. Ultimately, we can't heal or fix anything. And I want to be crystal clear here because this is a demonic possession, which is very, very rare in this day and age. I haven't seen it. I've been in and around ministry for 20 years. I have not seen that personally. I've seen demonic oppression and every person experiences spiritual warfare from Ephesians 6, the fiery darts of the wicked one. What does that mean? That, that evil thought that crosses your brain at the wrong time. You're like, where did that come from? That's the enemy. But that does not mean that all psychological issues are demonic. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about this, because we in- encounter this in our lives and in the ministry and as a disciple. You have spiritual issues, demonic possession, oppression. Then you have physical mental issues. For example, you can have genetic mental issues. You can have mental issues that come from a traumatic event in your life or from a social traumatic event. An example of this would be you're in Japan in 1946. You just got your family through the war. You get an entire society that has been through this traumatic event, it has an effect on people. You can have these um, issues, you can have split personalities, schizophrenia, you can be delusional, you can have bipolar disorder, you can be a certified psychopath, they have those. You can have obsessive compulsive disorder, you can have PTSD, you can have panic disorders, you can have anxiety, you can have eating disorders, and there's a variety of those. The problem we have is the same problem as we have with discipleship. We want black and white crystal answers. This is this and this is that, but it's gray. You can have people that have genetic psychological issues and they're coupled with demonic oppression on top of that. You can have people that just had a traumatic event and they need to be healed just like anybody else. But the point is this, whether it's spiritual, physical, or both, we need to test this out. We need to see what's legitimate, what's real. Just don't pretend that you know what's happening. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, we need to test the spirits. Because sometimes you can have someone that is claiming spiritual things. You may even think they're good or right or doing well, and they're lying. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Let's bring this back home. What if this is your Father? Your son, your neighbor, your nephew, your coworker And This is happening to somebody that you love and you know, and there is nothing you can do about it. What are you going to do? Don't you have a plan for the Lord? You've been telling him how you need to be a disciple, a Bible teacher, how you need to be a leader. You told him, where's your plan now? See, the tests of life show us. Now, the Lord, we know even though society wants to chain him and limit him and box him, the Lord has a different plan. In verses 30 through 34, it says, Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, this whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So Jesus has absolute dominion. He can heal earlier in the chapter. He has dominion over creation because he's the creator. He has power over the spiritual because he is the king of kings, the Alpha and Omega. He has the complete ability to do anything he wants whenever he wants. And he heals this person. Again, is it your father, your nephew, your son? This important person, the Bible says they're sitting up in their right mind and having a conversation after this. Society could fix nothing. How many psycho- psychotic drugs do you have to give a person? How much marijuana do they have to smoke? How many s- counseling sessions and psychological sessions and straitjackets And they can't fix anything. But the Lord moves and he touches and people's lives get changed. Now, for the believer, we talked about this last week. He doesn't heal us in the timing that we want. And for some of us, the answer is going to be no. He will not heal that person in your life with that issue. But when they close their eyes for the last time and enter into the kingdom, they will be healed permanently and forever. And we will be in their presence and we will speak in a right mind. And boy, will we have some interesting conversations, won't we? But, I have seen people with extreme cases of psychiatric issues, extreme cases of PTSD, I've seen people with extreme addictions, and I've seen them healed and repentant and used by the Lord and living a deeper and fuller life, and it never ceases to amaze me that somebody from their life will come to me and say, what did you do to my husband? Did you brainwash him? What did you do to my child? They're in some kind of cult now. And I just kind of chuckle, because you liked him better when they were on meth? You, You liked her better when she was out in adulterous relationships and at the bar, and now she's in church four days a week, and you're upset with me? You see, when Jesus heals these people of the impossible They don't welcome him with open arms. They gather together and say, can you please go away? We don't want you here. Did you think that anything was going to change today? Did you think that anything was going to change in the way that he disciples and teaches us? Jesus has the power to heal because he is life. He has dominion over creation because he is the creator. And he has the power over evil because he has the power over sin, death, and the devil. And he is in absolute control of all things. I pray that I can one day be the disciple that is sleeping with him on the boat through whatever trial in life comes. Because the people, they're going to question everything that you do. And I don't have the power to do anything. But if I'm with him, and he's doing his work, and I stay close to him, and nothing else really matters. I pray that whatever you're going through today and whatever difficulties you have, I know there's people in this fellowship that are going through difficult things with family members, just like we're praying about now. I pray that you would be able to find the same rest that we're talking about, trusting in him, not in ourselves, for anything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the work that you're doing. And we pray that we would have victory in our lives and that we would be able to live and love deeper and fuller, giving ourselves over to you. And that if it be your will, you would use us in whatever capacity you see fit to glorify your name. We pray for changed lives and for healing and for your spirit to move, that your will would be accomplished in all things. And we thank you for the gift of another day, in Jesus' name, amen. And if you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.